0: Well, there's a lot of great things. I I love uh, going through all this. Let me just erase this because we're going to do some other things as well. But I hope that you're gaining and and it's like you know you see in history because sometimes we look at the Bible and we don't think about where it fit in. And there's throughout history there are people who will say, well, there never. You know, that for a long time people said there never was a King David. They said there never was a King David, and the Bible's full of King David. And they said there wasn't a King David. And then about. Twenty-something years ago, they found a, a section of Israel, and it had a thing to, to, to David, which is David, and it actually listed him. And then they said for a long time there weren't any Hittites, that the Bible had to be wrong. And then they found a whole bunch of things dealing with the Hittites and the ground. You know, so so the truth is that. Uh, The more they uncover, the more it fits the Bible, and so it's really fantastic. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you want to. Go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 8. That's where we're going to sort of be. We're going to continue our study of what we're calling Jesus in the world, and we're seeing people and places and events that all tie into our Savior. And our goal is to see this, to understand it and be able to put it together, see how it connects to Jesus. Sometimes we're looking at this and you say, well, how is... Uh, dealing with the little Antichrist going to be affecting Jesus. Well, it affects the nation of Israel. It affects Jesus. It affects the world in which he came into. And so we divided the study, as we said, remember, into four big groups. The end of the Old Testament, between the Testaments, the beginning of the New Testament, and the end times. We saw a good bit on the end of the Old Testament. And now this this part number two, the between the Testaments... Last week was one lesson. This week is the last lesson. So this, this is going to take us between the Testaments. And then next week we'll actually start the beginning of the New Testament. There's some incredible great things that we're going to see in that. So this is where we are. We are between the Testaments. And we're looking at what happened from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. There's a time gap and as we say, about 400 years. 400 years which there was no written revelation. Now let me just say this. Daniel wrote things that corresponded to this time. So there wasn't a person writing the Bible at this time, but there are things in the Bible that actually talk about what happened in this time period? So when we say 400 silent years, it doesn't mean that there was nothing at all. It just means there was no written revelation from the Bible. Basically, the Old Testament, what we'd call the Old Testament, was completed, and of course, the New Testament didn't begin till later on. So this called the 400 silent years, and there's a lot of things that happened during this time, and a lot of things that tie in. One of the goals that I have for you is as you, as we study the life of Christ, as you study like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you see all that, and you see people, the. Pharisees, the Sadducees, you see Rome, and you see. And instead of going, well, that's just what we know, you actually say, well, I understand where that came from. I understand how that went. I understand when Rome came to power. And, and so you can really grasp a lot of things. Well, what happened will have a bearing. All the things that have happened, what happened in these times, will have a bearing on Jesus and his world. Tonight, we're going to look at a man named Antiochus IV. His name is, he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes Fourth, And we're going to see Antiochus Fourth and, and a feast of Israel. We'll talk about that. Who is this person? Uh, there are things that Jewish people do today. I mean, think about this. Uh, the, um, Purim. How many of y'all heard of Purim? Right? You know, Purim, the Jewish people celebrate that. What, is that. what book does that go back to? Esther. Book of Esther. I mean, there are people who say, there wasn't Esther. Well, then why are the Jewish people every year celebrating Purim? Where did they start this? Where did it come from? And we're going to see another feast tonight that ties in as well. And so we're going to see a lot of great things. Well, the next great event, if you remember, the next great event will be the rapture. So Jesus died and rose again. We're in the church age. One of these days, Jesus is going to come in the clouds and take us out. Then there'll be a seven-year time period, which is called the tribulation. And then follow that, Jesus comes. This is the first coming to the earth. This is coming in the clouds. This is the second coming to the earth. He comes as the King of kings, Lord of lords, sets up the kingdom. It rules for a thousand years. Well, tonight, as we're looking at this, we think, okay, we'll we'll be gone. And then there's this time period, which is called the tribulation. And... When we look at in fact this says dealing with a little antichrist, when we all hear the word antichrist, we think, oh, tribulation, that's man of sin who comes to power. Well, we're looking at somebody that really was a foreshadow of the man of sin. Let me just read something to you, just make sure you grasp it. This is first Thessalonians four, thirteen through eighteen, but verse sixteen talks about Jesus coming right here. He says this the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Does that mean the Lord's gonna shout? Wonder what you think he's going to say? Do you think he's going to talk Hebrew when he comes? What what language did he speak to Paul on the road to Damascus? Well, sure, everybody knows that, right? No, it was Hebrew. So, what language do you think we might talk in the future for all eternity? I don't know, maybe we'll just think and we know what everybody's saying or thinking, or maybe we'll all speak Hebrew, or maybe no matter what you say, everybody'll be able to understand it. Who knows? He's going to come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. What's he gonna say? And the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we'll always be with the Lord. So when we talk about what's next, This could happen at any second. There are no signs. I just want to remind you, there are no signs when people say, boy, you can really tell we're in the end times. How can you tell we're in the end times? The end times actually began with the death of Jesus Christ. So we've been in the end times for a long time. But things are shaping up to affect this time period. And if things are shaping up to affect this time period, that means... You know, if this is getting close, this is getting close as well. So it could be, any, it could be at any second. Jesus is going to come, shout of the art, voice of the archangel, and then there'll be a man of sin rise to power. First Thessalonians, that's a big overview. There's going to be a man of sin rise to power. He's called the antichrist. Uh, I, I, if you want to fill in the blank, the tribulation and the antichrist, and we're going to see who this? Who we're going to talk a little bit about the Antichrist tonight, but we're also going to talk about the little Antichrist. And so the little Antichrist of the Old Testament, Antiochus Fourth, is a foreshadow of the coming man of sin, the Antichrist. Now, I want to say something. Let me get. let you write that down. It says, Tribulation of the Antichrist, then, and, and I'm sorry, y'all, that is misspelled again. It's Antiochus IV. Uh, this is right up here. I'll get this corrected. Doesn't your handout have it wrong? It does, okay. Uh, anytime y'all see something wrong that got typed wrong, let me know. I get it to Chelsea. She can change it and then we'll have it uh, right for the future. Um, he's a foreshadow of the coming Antichrist. One of the things I wanted to tell you is the Antichrist in the Bible is never called the Antichrist. <laughs> I mean, when you look at it, what's he called? If you go to the book of Revelation, this, this person that we call the Antichrist, what does the Bible call him? He's the beast, the beast that comes up out of the sea. Now, we call him Antichrist because we just think that, but the bottom line is that we, we can use it that way. Antiochus is a foreshadow. So there's a lot. So let's think about it. The nation of Israel went into captivity. The northern kingdom went to Assyria. The southern kingdom went to Babylon. And uh, we know the seven Gentile world empires. And after the Babylonians came Who? Who? Medio persians they came in there. Cyrus came and let them go back. And then after that came the Greco-Macedonians. And when you think about the Greeks, you think about... Alexander the Great. You think of Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great. Phil- Philippi, Philippi, the city, the book named after this guy, Philip of Macedonia. And then his son Alexander conquered the world before he was 30 years old. I mean, he's just uh, amazing. Um, so, if you want to put there, it says Alexander the Great conquered the world, and they died at age 32. We we saw last lesson. I thought it was pretty amazing what he wanted done. You remember he said, "I want my doctors to take me. I want my hands." At late, out of the coffin, and I want all my riches on the on the ground. And he just was he was a unique person. I, you know, it's strange. Wonder what it would have been like if he'd have lived longer. What what the world would it be like? Who knows? Who knows? Well, the last thing that we saw, and this is why I wanted you to be in Daniel, is we saw that uh, the Bible talks about the rise of the Greeks, and in Daniel chapter eight. Verse three, just look over there quickly. Let me get. Uh, let me turn over there myself. I was in another place. In Daniel chapter eight. Uh, Daniel has this vision, and they, he gets to find out what it is. He says, "I lifted up my eyes, and there was this ram had two horns, was standing in front of the canal. The two horns were long. One was longer than the other. Who is that? That's, that that ram is the media Persians. And then in verse five, it says, "While I was observing, a male goat was coming from the west. Which direction did the Greco Macedonians come from?" The West. And so they're coming from the West over the surface of the earth without even touching the ground, coming real fast. Goat had this conspicuous horn between his eyes. Well, who is that? That goat is, that's the Greeks and that's Alexander the Great. It goes on to say, I saw... Uh, I saw him beside the ram, and he enraged at him, and he struck the ram, and he shattered the two horns, and the ram had no strength, hurled him to the ground, and trampled on him. That's and that's Alexander defeating the, the medial Persians. That's exactly what happened in the Bible. And then in verse 8, it says, When the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, he was great. As soon as he was mighty, not very long, remember, he conquered the world at age 30 and died at age 32. The large horn, and by the way, this was written a long time before Alexander was ever born, so don't think that that Daniel wrote this and, and Alexander showed up two weeks later. I mean this is years in advance, you know, and so he says, the large horns broke in his place, there came four conspicuous horns, and so that's really the horns that that are the the generals and so when he died, that was the generals and, and came and we could say, how do we know this? Let me just remind you that when he died. That became, that one of the generals called Cassandra got that place. Lysimachus got this place. One guy named Seleucus got this northern part. And another guy named Ptolemy got the southern part. And so this is Egypt, Ptolemy. And this is Syria, basically, the and that part of the world. And if you notice, right in the middle is Israel, right there. And so they fought back and forth against each other for years. And when they fought back and forth, right in the middle of the whole thing was Israel. So they were always in trouble. And when the Seleucids were in power, they controlled. When Ptolemy was in power, they controlled. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And if you notice, I'm going to throw that back up. This is what we've already got. But how do we know? We could say, how do we know that this is really the the Medio persians and the Greeks? And how do we know that? Well, look at verse 20 of Daniel chapter 8. We saw this last week. But the rim, which you saw with two horns, represents who? Medial Persians. Now, when Daniel wrote this, who was in power? The Babylonians. The Babylonians. I mean, there are not really any Medial Persians coming up to do anything. He just writes it down. Then notice, the shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. Was, was Greek a power when he wrote this? No, they didn't even know about him. And so it says, and the large horn that is between his eyes is what? The first king. Who is the first king? That's Alexander. I mean, this is, it's amazing. I've told you all this many times, that people who don't trust the Bible, who say they don't believe the Bible, they say that Daniel wasn't written by Daniel at this time, that years into the future, somebody wrote this because all the history had already happened, because it's so exact, and then they said it was written by Daniel. So they say that it was somebody lying, saying, I'm Daniel, and I'm writing history because it already passed. But the truth is, Daniel saw the future because God gave it to him. And so then in 8.22, it goes on to say, The four, the horn broken and the four horns that arose in his place represents four kingdoms. Well, let me go back for a second. There are the four kingdoms right there that came. So the Bible, I mean, let's just say it, y'all. The Bible is always perfect. Bible is always right. When you look at the book of Daniel and you see all those prophecies... It's true. When you saw the prophecy in Daniel 9, about the 490 years, Daniel wrote that, and let me tell you, it's exactly right. And so when you study the Bible, you never, don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt it. It's, it's just too perfect. That's what it is. And the more you study the Bible, the more you should say, wow, it's perfect. People who say, uh, well, I don't believe the Bible, first of all, you know, you want to say, why don't you believe it? It, it's better than any, any books ever written. You know, let, let me just throw this out to you. When you talk about just the, just the Bible and just the New Testament, and somebody said, well, I don't trust the Bible because it's written by men. I said, well, do you trust any other books? And they say, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I said, well, do you believe there was Gallic Wars? Caesar and the Gallic Wars? And they said, of course I do. And I said, well, how many copies, books do we have that talk about the Gallic Wars? And you know how many there are? There's four or five. And one of the, the, the earliest book that we have is a thousand years after the events happened. So we say we trust five books, one of which, the closest one to it was a thousand years after the event. What about the Bible? How many copies of the Bible do we have? We have 5,000 Greek manuscripts. We have another 10,000 other manuscripts. And we've got some manuscripts written within 50 years of the event. So if you're going to say, what ancient documents would you trust? Would you trust the Bible above any other ancient document? There's nothing like it. I mean, we're talking, people would say, Gallic Wars, that's for sure. Well, you only got five copies. The Bible, 15,000 copies. Do you not trust that? They say, we don't trust that. It's because they don't want to trust it. It's the best attested document in the world. Ever been, ever been. And people want to say, well, the Bible's not accurate. I say, well, if the Bible's not accurate, there ain't nothing accurate. You can't, you can't hold anything. Okay, so here here's the key. And the one thing I wanted you to see, let me go back again, that these two are going to cause the problems. They're going to be the ones always affecting Israel. And so to the south is Ptolemy, to the north is Seleucid. And so we're just going to call them Ptolemy, the power of Ptolemy, the Sele- Seleucid, even though that's the names. Daniel chapter 11 actually talks about these two kingdoms. And Daniel says, in chapter 11, it'll say, and the king of the north did this, and the king of the south did this. And that's that's what goes back and forth and back and forth. So let me give you a little history here as we get through it, that from about 325 to 285, Ptolemy had control. That's the southern part, okay? And that's the, the Egyptian, basically. And about 100,000 Jews were actually... Uh, taken from Israel and uh, deported down into to Egypt for those kind of times. Now, about this time, we've already talked about it, but about this time, the Septuagint was written. And what is the Septuagint? It's the Greek version of the Old Testament, basically. They, Seventy Hebrew scholars supposedly worked and put it together, and that's why it's called Septuagint, I mean, 70. And uh, at, at Alexandria, Egypt, named after Alexander the Great, was the largest library in the world. There were scholars everywhere, and so we had all this. Now, here's what happened. Then in the 220 B.C., the Seleucids took control. Now, where are they? North or south? Anybody know? Okay, north. So the Egyptians in the south, Seleucid in the north. And the reason we want to talk about them is because what happened here? And so Seleucid took over, and there's this man. His name is Antiochus the Third. And as you can probably guess, there was an Antiochus the second and an Antiochus the first, right? I mean, you guys, but this guy was named Antiochus the third, and he came to power, and he moved the capital. Capital had been at Babylon, and he moved the capital to Syria, to Antioch, Syria, and it became one of the great cities of the world. And uh, he he ruled after his father died, and then uh, he, uh, this guy came to power, and his, his he. Um, defeated Ptolemy in 198 B.C. Now, you got these dates, and you go, they don't matter. And you say, well, they don't really matter. You can't remember everything, but there is certain dates I want you to remember. You don't have to remember every one of these dates, but just what happened. Well, here's Antiochus III, and they took power. And what they did is well, they settled in the northern part of Israel. Let me draw this up again for you just to show you something. I'm going to make this a little bit smaller so I can fit all this in. This is Israel. This is is the Seleucids, and this is the Ptolemies. And Seleucids have taken over, and so they come down here, and they actually come in this area, and they started settling in this part of the world. And if you remember at the time of Jesus, this is why it affects everything, there was a place called Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities. There were ten Greek cities at the time of Christ, and they're in this part. So if you look, what, what is this? Does anybody know what this is? The Sea of what? Galilee. Galilee. And this is the Dead Sea. And this is where Jesus lived, and this is where Jesus had all his ministry. And he would go over to this part, and there were Greeks, all there were Gentiles and Greeks all over the place. Even though Jesus went to the Jews, and that's what he said. He said, "I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." He still had a lot of impact. Do you remember the, uh, you remember the guy that um, had the demons in him, and the pigs all ran down the hill and everything? That was in that part. Okay, so uh, I mean, there were pe- there were people everywhere that at the time of Christ that were sort of Gentiles and Greeks and, and those kind of things. Well, problems begin to happen. Rome is coming to power. So you've got the Greeks, and then there's going to be the Romans. And the Romans are coming to power. And these, these two generals, and Fessy, Seleucid, that part, and, and, of course, this Antiochus guy, there he is. The Romans are coming to power. And when the Romans started coming to power, they started coming to power. And they began to cause a lot of problems. And so the Romans... Um, Antiochus III was defeated by the Romans at Thermo- Thermopylae in 190. And you've probably heard of that battle if you ever studied history back a long time ago. So the Romans defeated him. Now, that didn't mean that Rome took over that part of the world. They didn't. They just defeated him. And he basically was defeated and had to go back to his region because what he was trying to do, since he had already taken over here, He said, I'm just going to keep moving. Well, he couldn't keep moving because the Romans were coming to power. His son, he had a son, and this is the man we all know about. His name is uh, uh, Antiochus IV. And he was sent to Rome. We talked about this last week. He was sent to Rome as a hostage. So when the Romans got uh, Antiochus III, they took his son and said, your son's coming with us. And for 12 years... Antiochus the fourth was basically a hostage in Rome well, and how old was he when he was? I don't know I, I didn't even look at how old he was um, I don't even I'm that, down, I'll be real honest with you I don't even know how old he was when he was doing all this bad stuff I'm picturing in, in, I'm picturing he was probably younger Maybe a teenager when he was taken off, and he was probably in his 30s when he's actually causing the problems with with Israel. But I'll, I can, if I can remember to look it up, I'll try to see if I can find his age. You know, when I read stuff, I don't ever remember seeing anything about his age. You know? Yes. Now was Antiochus the third, Was he a part of the Seleucid? Seleucid, yes. This is all Seleucid. So Ptolemy is in the south, Seleucid's in the north, and Antiochus the third was took over, won, and then he thought, I'm gonna okay, I'm doing good. I'm controlling all this now. I'll deal with the Romans and the Romans came to power and defeated him and he pushed him back over here. And his son was taken off into Rome. We think that after the twelve years somehow uh, Rome decided to let him go. So he comes back, Antiochus the fourth comes back, and his father dies. And when his father dies, Antiochus IV became the king. He became the ruler of the Seleucid Empire. And so he ruled. And look, it's not a very long rule. Now, I want you to see some things that are pretty amazing. His name is Antiochus IV. He ruled from 175 B.C. to 163 B.C. Okay? I'm, in fact, I might have somewhere. I was looking at when he died, what his age was. I might have written it down when he died. But I don't, I don't think so. Huh? He died in one sixty four BC. He did? Do you have that somewhere? I was just reading about it. Okay, I, I couldn't remember I I well, I I've got that he ruled one seventy three to one sixty three, so maybe it was one sixty three or one sixty four. But somewhere in there, um his dealing with the Jews ended and then he died not too long after that. Now let me show you something that you're gonna like. His name he called himself his name was Antiochus. He called himself Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth, the Greek word Epiphanes means the manifested one, the shining one. He said that he was a God. He called himself a God-man, the God-manifest. And so he actually went around saying, I'm Antiochus Epiphanes. That'd be like you coming in and saying, uh, my name is Antiochus, the God-man, because I'm the shining one. That's what he called himself. And uh, he, was, he was really, let's just say it this way, he was really a horrible man. And now I've got something that you you want. He called himself Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. Have you got that written down? If you do, now watch this. Uh, The Jews hated him, and they called him Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. Now in the Greek, there's. Let me just show you something. See, in Greek, this is E P I. That's one letter. P H. That's one letter, and it goes together. See this P H right here? the Jews would take that one letter, P-H, and they changed it to an M, or they, they took it out and made it a pie and took out one of that, and one letter changed. The word Epimanes means crazy man. And so he called himself Epiphanes, the shining one, and they called him Epimanes, the madman. Now, let me just say this in a nice way. They, they didn't call that to his face, okay? But that's what he was known as. And so he he controlled Israel. He controlled all of this. And so he was, uh, that's, how, that's what he seemed to be like. It, so he ruled. He's called the Shining one. They hated him. They called the madman. Now, let's keep going. And I, I don't know, you know, I, I've looked at these lessons. We'll see how they all tie together. Uh, and, I, you know, this is the first time I've taught this. So this, this lesson might be shorter than, than we normally have. But who knows? I, I don't know. I just according how much I want to talk. But anyway, uh, his goal, his goal was to hellenize the world. Very similar to Alexander. Remember, Alexander the Great said that the, the Greek empire and the Greek language and the Greek culture is the greatest in the world. And so now this man wants to do the same thing as Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And so what happened? He decided he, since his father had lost to Rome, he decided he would go get Rome and I forgot to bring the book. Um, let, let me let me just remind you something. How many of you have ever heard of Josephus? His name is Flavius Josephus. He was a Jew, he was a Jewish man who is a historian. He wrote the history of the Jews. He started with Adam and Eve and wrote up. He also wrote what he called the Wars of the Jews, and he wrote about all these different events that we're talking about. I've got the book in my office, and I I was going to bring and read to you tonight from some of the passages that he wrote about Antiochus and about the feast and about Judas Maccabeus and all that, so I, I I forgot to bring it. But let me tell you what happened. So he decided he was going to go fight Rome, and he got to a certain place, and Rome came and attacked him, and they stopped him, and one of the Roman generals came to him and said, you are pitiful. And he's twit, he stood there and the Roman general took a circle, took a rope, a, a, a stick and made a circle around him and said, if you step out of that circle, we'll kill you right now. And he couldn't step out of the circle. He was afraid. And then they said, you go back and don't ever come this way again. And so he, was, he decided to go back. Okay. Now, the Jews heard that the Romans defeated him, and they thought he got killed. And they had a celebration. They were all cheering. And Antiochus heard that they were cheering because they thought he was dead. So he came back. Uh, by A uh, 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 Roman general by the name of Pompilius is the one who drew the circle. And so he went back, and as he came back, came back up this way, he came back through Israel. And he knew that... There had been great celebration over his death. You know, and it's that same old saying that says, my death has been greatly exaggerated, you know. And, and so he, he wasn't dead. And so he decided that he would take this out on the Jews and that he would. He hated them. They hated him, but he hated them. And so what did he do? So first of all, he went, went to Rome. Rome stopped him. He came back, and here's what he did. He prohibited the Sabbath. He told them, you can't celebrate the Sabbath anymore. Now, why would that be bad for Jews? That's one of the reasons they went into captivity, because they didn't keep the Sabbath days. And they wanted to keep the Sabbath days. They needed to keep the Sabbath days, because God says that. Listen, let me ask you a question. Do you need a Sabbath day? Yeah, what did God say? You shall work what? Six days and rest on the seventh. And we're not under the Mosaic law, but what do we normally do? We normally worship on the first day of the week, and then work the rest days of the week. So ours is rest and work, where theirs was work, and rest. Everybody needs a Sabbath. Uh, We're not under a law, and we're not under that, but everybody needs a break. You can't continually go without without a break. The land needs a break. People need a break. Animals need a break. Everything needs a break. He says, no Sabbath worship. You can't worship Sabbath. The second thing is, is he stopped circumcision. He said, if we see a little boy being circumcised, or getting circumcised, or has just been circumcised, we will kill the child, and they did. They killed the little boys, and they hung them around their mother's necks. So he came in with his soldiers, and they looked, and they said, Is this boy circumcised? Kill him. Hang him around his mother's neck. Oh, he's so evil. He then, he also stopped the Jewish feast. Well, you know how important the Jewish feasts are. I mean, if you remember what, tell me some Jewish feasts. you know them? Huh? Okay, we'll put that up here. Okay, you got Passover, which is on the 14th day of the first month. And then you have what? Unleavened what? bread, 15th through, you know, first. Then what do you have? You have first fruits, which is in this. Then you have what? Pentecost. Then you have Day of Atonement, right? Do I have trumpets first and then the Day of Atonement? Trumpets, the first day of the seventh month, this is the 10th day of the seventh month, this is the fifth day, which is called uh, tabernacles or booths. And then you have Purim which came at the time of Esther. And there's even some more, and we'll get them in a minute. But he said, you can't celebrate any of these. Why would a Jew celebrate Passover? Why? Exactly. That's, when, that's when God delivered them from Egypt. That's, that's the most powerful thing of all. And the Passover is a foreshadow of who? Jesus Christ. He said, can't, can't have the feast days. He destroyed copies of the Bible. Now, people didn't have Bibles like we do. Every one of us in this room have a Bible. Uh, but there were copies of the Bibles. And, and, um, and when they would meet together, there were copies that the scribes and things had copied over and over and over. The kings had copies of the Bible. People had copies. Well, they destroyed the Bible. And they killed anybody that they found had a copy of Scripture. Then he said, You shall worship Zeus because Zeus is the main god. Of the the Greeks, Zeus. And we're going to see some more things that he did, but he also tore down the wall that Nehemiah had rebuilt. How many days did it take him to build that wall? 52 days. He came in there and destroyed it. Yeah? Is it possible that Dead Sea Scrolls were hidden at this point? I'm trying to think of when they believed that Dead Sea Scrolls were hidden they believed that there was a group called the Essenes that were more at the time of Christ or before the time of Christ, a little bit before, not necessarily here. There's a possibility, okay, there's a possibility that this group of people living out in that arid region, right in here and right in here, were called Essenes, and we think the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were found right there in En Gedi, uh, we think that those people had that, and they wrote it, and they were kind of a... A different group. Most don't think it was happened at this time. It could have been that maybe they hid some of it, but we think more likely uh, later on that this group of people, they, they did not recognize leadership. Here, here's Jerusalem. Jerusalem had had priests as rulers. We're going to see it at the end of our lesson tonight. Priests were not always rulers, but at the time of Christ, priests were rulers. Because Jewish people didn't have a king, so who was going to be the rulers? That was the priest. Well, this group of people, the Essenes, they did not follow these priests. And so they broke off themselves. And some people actually think John the Baptist grew up as an Essene out in the middle of nowhere. Now, the Essenes were really weird. Essenes did not marry, did not have sexual relations. The only way they populated their group is that somebody joined their group. So they didn't produce offspring and they had the uh, they had all these scrolls the only book only book that wasn't found was the book of Esther I, I think i know why what did we find out about the book of Esther God's not mentioned in the Book of Esther, so they were kind of weird. They probably said, "If God's not mentioned, we're not going to use the book," even though everybody else did. So I don't know if, if that, that could have been a time that happened. Most believe it was a little bit later on, but some really good stuff. Okay, so here's what is he doing? He's tearing down the wall. He's doing all of these things, and then in one sixty seven BC, he came and made an altar to Zeus. Guess what? In the temple. Now, I want to draw something up for us real quickly just so you can see what's going on. It, yeah, does it sound like that? I mean, if you know your Bible, hearing all of this makes you say, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. I'm going to draw it like this. I'm just going to make a quick thing like this. In the temple, you walked in the gate, which is called the eastern gate or the golden gate. There was an altar where they sacrificed animals. There was a laver where the priest cleansed their hands. In the front room, there was a table with bread on it. On this other side, there was a golden lampstand, And then back here was an altar of incense. And then in the back room, which was called the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant. So for Jewish people, this, this was everything. They brought sacrifices there, priest washed there. Only the priest could go in the front room. These lights never went out. Never went out. The bread was changed once a week. Remember, this is the bread David asked for when he was on the run from Saul. And, and this is the little altar of incense that went up all the time as well. So the job, job of the priest... Some, they're just offering sacrifices. Those chosen by lot got to go in once a week, change the bread, got to go in every day, keep the lights going, got to go in every day. Now, one one priest, not, not, not the same priest over and over, just one priest. You remember the story of John the Baptist, right? Zacharias was John the Baptist's daddy. He was a priest. He got chosen to go in and deal with the altar of incense. And when he went in, there was an angel, Gabriel, standing by the right of the altar. That's when he told him about John, that John would be the the forerunner of the Messiah. So here, when, when Antiochus IV came in, he put on the altar, he put a sacrifice to Zeus. And he put a statue of Zeus on the altar. I mean, how horrible could that get? I mean, for the Jewish people, you, it can't be any more horrible than that. That's about as horrible as it could get. And so he put that that altar to Zeus there. And so what happened is now, and so it, uh, if you're still in Daniel, if you notice this, Daniel talked about this man. Now remember, Daniel wrote at the time of Babylon, and this is now the time of who? The Greco Macedonians. I mean, this is way down in history. Look what Daniel says. Look at chapter eight. Look at verse nine. Daniel says, "Out of one of them." Now, if you remember the flow, he's just talked about the four generals, and the four generals scatter out. Now, watch what happens. Out of one of them came rather uh, forth a rather small horn. Who is this? This is Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth. Watch exceedingly toward the south, toward the east, toward the beautiful land. Okay, he's coming in. He's coming in. It grew up to be the host of heaven and caused some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall. It even magnified itself to be equal with the command of the host and look what he does. And he removed the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. He comes in and he destroys the sacrifice. He He puts an idol up in the temple. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like in the future, in the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, seven years, that halfway through at the three-and-a-half-year mark, what happens? The the Antichrist puts an idol up in the temple and declares to be worshipped. This time, this man put an idol up in the temple... And declared that he's God. Remember, he's Epiphanes, the the shining one, the bright and shining one. Well, watch what goes on. In verse eleven, just look at verse eleven. It says he magnified himself and he put his play, put his idol up basically in the temple and stopped the sacrifices. Watch verse thirteen. And by the way, on your sheet where it says how long, it says Daniel eight, it says thirteen, put also verse fourteen. Put Dash fourteen. Okay? So Daniel eight nine is the little horn, and eight eleven is when he stops the sacrifice. Eight thirteen and fourteen. Look what it says. I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one saying to that particular one, How long? Will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply while the transgressions cause horror so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? What's he asking? How long is this going to happen? How long is this going to happen? Look at the next verse. He said to me, 2,300 evenings and mornings, which is approximately 1,150 days which is just a little more than three years. Now, when did he put this idol up? 167. Do you know when it ended? 164, right at three years. How long does Daniel say it's going to be? 1150 days, approximately Jewish calendar, just a little more than three years. So, Daniel actually predicted that a man would come into the temple, stop the sacrifices, put an idol there, and it would last for three years. From history tells us, he started it in 167, it ended in 164, almost exactly three years. Now, the Bible, as I'm just telling you, it's always right. Now, what happened? Who is this man? This little man, let me, where's my little deal? Okay, this man was called. It went off. What happened? Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, he, he stopped the sacrifices. 2,300 evening mornings, 1,150 days, just a little more than three years. It went from 167 to 164 B.C., And then, this little Antichrist is a foreshadow of the one to come, the man of sin who will rule in the tribulation. And let me just, I'm not going to go to all these places, places, but in Daniel 9.27, the Antichrist comes. That's the 9.27, that's the Antichrist. He comes and stops the sacrifices. It's called the abomination desolation. Daniel actually told not only about the little horn, which is in Daniel 8, which happened at the time of Antiochus the Epiphanes IV. He also talked about the man of sin who would come and stop the sacrifices in the temple, and that's Daniel nine twenty four through 27. Matthew 24, Jesus gives exactly the same prophecies. And in 2 Thessalonians, listen to this. I'm just going to read it to you. Just, just, do you have the verses? Do I have them down for you? Okay, just listen to this right here. This is 2 Thessalonians. Paul is writing about it. And here's what he says. He says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that will not come first until the apostasy and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or order of worship. He takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. That's the future. That's the true Antichrist. So in the future... There will be a man of sin. He's called the beast. And he will come into the temple, put his idol up and claim to be God. Antiochus the Epiphanes in 167 BC did exactly the same thing and Daniel told that he was going to come and do the same thing. So I just want you to see that we're seeing the Jewish people in 167 went through what the Jewish people are going to go through in the time of the tribulation, it's a foreshadow. It's a foreshadow. Now, you want some good news? Here's some good news. The Jews begin to revolt. They begin to say, we can't have somebody put an idol up in the temple. Can't have Zeus in the temple. This is our temple. This is God's temple. They stopped everything. Guess what? Do you know these lights? There's a certain special oil that they put, make, and it burns. And it was never supposed to go out. He came in there, tore everything up, and destroyed it. Guess what? Wasn't any lights. Wasn't any bread. Wasn't anything. We don't know what happened. Well, there came a man, and he was an old man, and his name was Matthias, and he was a priest, and he was near the tabernacle, and some of Antioch's soldiers came in and demanded that they offer a a sacrifice to Zeus on the temple. And he wouldn't do it. He said, I'm not going to do it. And they said, we'll kill you. And he said, I'm not going to do it. And one of the other priests said, I'll do it. And as he started to do it, Matthias killed him. and said, you are not going to do it. And he killed him. And then he attacked and killed one of the soldiers. And then a bunch of the other Jewish people jumped up and they killed those soldiers. And the soldiers ran off. And they went. Yeah, we stopped them, and they stopped them for about ten minutes. So then, what did they decided to do? They said we got to get together, and we got to start fighting, and we got to do something. And so the old man Matthias had a son named Judas, and he was named Nicodemus, uh, which means the hammer because he was tough. And he said, I'll go fight him. And they begin to get people together, and they begin to lead, and they begin to go in the fight against Antiochus soldiers. And they did sneak up on them, and jump on them, kill them all, run off. And pretty soon, Antiochus began to lose the wars. The Jews began to have the victory. And over a certain period of time, it took about three years, but in 164 B.C., the Jews defeated him. Josephus, I have, I actually have it down in Josephus, in volume 3, pages 191-192, I've got down the story of how they defeated these people. And they gained a great victory. They took the city of Jerusalem back and guess what they began to build? The altar. They built the altar out here up front. And they built this room back. And they began to purify everything. But here was the problem. That oil that you use to burn those, it's a special oil. And the legend has it that they only had oil enough for one day until they could make more oil. So they lit the candles and they burned for. Eight days. It was a miracle. And they called it the Feast of Lights. And they call it Hanukkah. And so when people hear of Hanukkah, and if you think Hanukkah is a Jewish Christmas, you're way off the thing. It just so happens that they lit the candles on the 25th day of the month of Kislev, which corresponds closely to our December and January. So sometimes... The, the Feast of Hanukkah is right around Christmas. Sometimes it's a little bit further. But Hanukkah is the story of the Jewish people defeating Antiochus Epiphanes fourth and taking back the temple. And miraculously, the oil burned for eight days. So Hanukkah is a feast that lasts for how long? Eight days. Isn't it beautiful? Wow. Don't you love it? So do you think this actually happened? Well, the, yeah, some people say that didn't really happen. Well, why is there Hanukkah? Why is there Hanukkah? There's a place, uh, and I, my mind's a little bit blank, but there's a place where Jesus. is in the Gospel of John, and it says that Jesus was walking in the temple during the feast in the winter time. What feast would that be? It's only one. None of the other feasts are in the winter. All the others are in the spring, the summer and the fall. The only Jewish feast that's in the winter is Hanukkah. So it tells in the gospel that they were celebrating Hanukkah at the time of Christ. So huge, huge, huge. The lights, oh, I guess, did I put that up or did I? Yeah. Okay. So you've got it. They were going to purify the temple. How long did the lights burn? At eight days, the feast is called Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. Now, I want to show you something that happened because these, these priests became fighters. And they said, yeah, we're kind of the main ones now. And so they became the leaders. They became the leaders. The priests became the leaders. And notice, the descendants of the Maccabean family became priests, and it became a political office. Now, let me ask you a question. How was a priest supposed to be a priest? He had to travel Levi. And how did you get to be a high priest? He had to be a descendant of Aaron, Aaron's oldest son, and the next oldest son, and the next oldest son, and the next old, all the way down. You didn't get to say, I'd like to be high priest. Only certain people could be high priest. By the time of Christ, and this is why we're bringing this down, by the time of Christ, this family, the Maccabean family of priests, became powerful, and the priests became appointed. And when the Greeks and when the Romans took over, You remember the time of Christ? The Romans are... uh, Who's ruling for the Jews at the time of Christ? The priests are. Rome is ruling, but Rome allows the priest to be the leaders. That's why it was the priest that tried to kill Jesus, because they didn't want him to, to have the power. Do you know that at the time of Jesus, there were two high priests at the same time? Did you know that? I'd like to read this to you. Luke chapter Luke chapter 3. Listen to this. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he's the Caesar of Rome, Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. We know who he is. Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee. That was one of Herod's sons. His brother Philip was the tetrarch of the other region. And in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. Two priests, two high priests at the same time. If you read the Bible, you should have said, "Wait and wait, but whoa, whoa! You can't have two high priests at the same time." Did you know that Caiaphas was Annas' son-in-law? So, who do you think said, "Hey, you can be priest with me"? Yeah. So, well, we don't know. Some some probably were, they probably had priestly background, but. Only descendants of Aaron could be the ones, you know, and these are the Maccabees. So let me give you some some key areas, okay, for you to think about it. Hanukkah becomes a Jewish celebration, and that's John chapter ten, where Jesus is in the in the temple in the winter, and they're celebrating the feast. So Hanukkah becomes a Jewish celebration. The rise of the Sanhedrin. Now let me talk about that for just one second. We're going to see it. I haven't really mentioned it tonight. We're going to see it more next week. Sanhedrin, these Jewish people, the priest, and some people called Pharisees, and groups called Sadducees, all got together and decided they would be the rulers. Rome said, we'll let you do this. And they called themselves Sanhedrin, which is legislature. They were the group, and there were 70 of them. That sound familiar? Seventy of them. And the high priest was the most important one. And we'll talk more about them. So there was the rise, the Jewish leaders and the rise of the Sanhedrin. The third one is the priesthood became a political office. That's why the Essenes, that's why the Essenes, wouldn't have anything to do with the priesthood in Jerusalem because they said it was an illegitimate priesthood. Then, did you get that last one? It became a political office. And then the rise of these groups. Look at these groups, and we're going to talk about them. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And you look at that, which ones stand out to you? The Pharisees and Sadducees—we hear about them all the time—but the scribes are there too, and the Herodians are there too, and the zealots are there too. You know, so we're gonna we're gonna see those guys. All right, let me give you. Um, are you did you all get this? No. Okay, let's, yeah, just write it down. The camera mess up? That's wonderful. Five. Five. Yeah, I know we're not through. Okay. We're not through. I, we're just giving y'all time to write it down. Okay, you ready? Everybody ready for the next one? You got these guys? We will get them in the next lesson. And then the, the rise of Rome. The rise of Rome. They're coming. All right, let me give you some applications. And then I'll put the quiz up there. Okay, here's some applications. Number one, let's realize Antiochus IV is a foreshadow of the Antichrist in the tribulation. You could just, you don't have to write down every word. You could just write, write down Antiochus the Fourth, the foreshadow of the Antichrist. He is. His name even sounds like it, doesn't it? Antiochus. Antichrist. What was his name? Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the what? The shining one. And what they call him? Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the crazy man. Crazy man. You crazy man. Number two, let's realize we have to be willing to stand for the truth in what we believe. Listen, Judas, Judas Maccabeus and Matthias and his sons and the Jewish people, they said enough is enough. Enough is enough. Let me tell you, in our country, you know, well, is the camera still on? There's going to come a time we're going to have to say enough is enough. We're going to have to do and stand for what is right. Is that right or not? Yeah, you, yeah, you better be ready. We all better be ready. Because it's coming. It's coming. They're going to tell us you can't meet. They're going to tell us things we can't do. They're going to tell us you can't travel. They're going to tell us all kinds of things. We're going to say we're going to do whatever we want to do. This is our country. And then we'll all be dead. But it'll be okay. (laughs) Number three, let's understand the Feast of Hanukkah. Don't you, listen, when somebody says Hanukkah is a Jewish Christmas, say, no, you have no idea. It has nothing to do with Christmas. It has to do with the Jewish people defeating Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth and taking the temple back, and the miracle of the burning of the lights. Ah, wow, it's beautiful. What's the other name for Hanukkah? Feast, Feast, of, lights. Feast of Lights. Yeah, and then let's understand the different groups and sects at the time of Jesus. And we're going to look at the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the Essenes and, and the, the Zealots and all those different groups. We're going to see who they are and what they've done and what they did. And see, it all affects Jesus. That's one reason we want to look at all this.